Welcome to the new episode of Challenging the Status Quo podcast with your host Amir Sabirovich. Well, the new norm is working from home until the 1st of January 2021. So put your phones on the flight mode and let's first listen to our last guest, who was Kaspers Bazilinski from Neoteric. He's an AI team lead and here is what he had to say. I think it has more faith in more faith in your, your own skills, your own uh, possibilities, I think, because in that, in that time I, I wasn't, well, it's, it's, well, I had some, just of my dreams, but now came true, but uh, nowadays, in that time, many people, like my colleagues from my, my village, and another post said to me that it's not, it's not really possible, so I'm from village, it's really hard work to do because I have to travel a lot, I have to move from the village. Now if you by any chance have missed this episode, go one episode back, listen to Cusper, then return to this episode and let's hear our new guest and what he has to say. Good morning ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Challenging today, uh, Status Quo. Today I have Tim Herglotz, he's the dealmaker and sales leader at DXC Technology. And he's living in Köln. And the funny thing that I just found out that his father is from Yugoslavia, so I love uh-huh. him already. But <laughs> let's ask him to introduce himself and tell his story. Tim, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Amir. Hey, Tim, you, you, you have listened to uh, a few of our podcasts, and of course, we are very keen, and I gave a bit of your background away, but we're very keen to hear your background and how you got where you are right now. So <laughs> okay. the floor is yours, yeah. brother. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me here. Uh, it's an uh, interesting story how I end up where I am now. Uh as I was at school, while I was still, what is it, 15 years young or 16 years young, I was uh, quite a rebel instead of a, a good political uh, school, schooler. Yeah. I was way uh, doing other stuff, playing video games, playing football, and I had a very low education. I had a, v, a VBO. I'm unsure what that exactly means in, in English, but I think there is no much left going down. Uh, left going down than uh, than this uh, degree, um, but that was my starting point. I had no interest in uh, in school. I had no interest in uh, in learning stuff which I didn't care for. Uh, I only focused on the things which I liked, and that was more or less playing video games and also in general uh, working with computers and computer science. Um, and sorry, and next to that also working on uh, as a mechanic on cars. That was my uh, my two main hobbies, and. Um, I finished my VBO, which was, of course, not a big challenge to <laughs> to, uh, to to finish you and get a degree on. It, you chose it because it wasn't, so you can focus on these other yeah. two things. Yeah, right? yeah, I was terrible at school. I, I was. I think it was also. I'm not blaming the the school system. Eh? Don't get me wrong, but there are some flaws in it, which for which for people like myself uh, doesn't work. Yeah, I don't want to know a lot from everything. Yeah. That's more the generic school approach, but I want to know from uh, a specific subset to be an expert in it. Yeah? And the school system, uh, at least in the Netherlands and also in Germany, uh, you have to know a lot from everything uh, to continue or show that you are smart, so, so to speak. 
I think that is bollocks. Yeah, I don't uh, believe that is still valuable in now uh, in nowadays. But uh, that's a story for itself, I would say. But that's how I started. Uh, then worked as a mechanic. Uh, I pursued a career within uh, uh, being a mechanic, uh, a truck mechanic to be precisely. I was doing that uh, quite okay-ish. I was not uh, really great at it. I was okay-ish. Um, but it was fun for me, you know. It was um, it was always the same group who was working together. You have a different atmosphere than working now in a large organization. It was fun, and you really had accomplished something once you, uh, you left the garage, so to speak. I uh, did that for one, one and a half years. To be honest, I cannot recall it uh, precisely. And then I should uh, received a renewal of my contract of employment. And my boss already told me, Tim, I would give you with all my pleasure this renewal. But what I have seen in the last one and one and a half years, and I know you quite well, to be honest, is that you should step out of this business and get into your desire, and that's working with computers. And he didn't give me a new renewal of a contract. So I was more or less fired on the spot. Uh, and I was a bit shocked, to be honest, because I was like, why? What's happening to me? And uh, he said, no, this is, uh, this is it. And uh, go your way, and you will thank me later. And that was quite a shock to me. You know, I was still young, and uh, I need to go back and tell my parents um, I didn't get a renewal on a on a contract. What was a tr- um, a truck mechanic, and I, I liked it. So, a couple of days thinking, thinking, why did he do that? You know, and I asked my dad what what is his reasoning behind it. And my my dad was supporting the guy, and he said, "Well, that's true. If you want to go on IT." you need to step uh, in IT. And if you need to step on rock bottom, you step on rock bottom. But once you're in, you can then go all the way up to uh, there's no, there's nothing that will stop you. And I thought about it and I said, yeah, that's fine. So, but going back to school after did you, after you went uh, working because you already had some income, you don't want to go back to, uh, uh, to living uh, uh, with your parents or to live with only 200 quid a month instead of, what is it? thousand something euro uh, which you had uh, in your early days <clears throat> and uh, i looked at the school system again and tried to find a, a match and uh, there was no match to be found you know i was a uh, somebody who had a degree in vbo vbo and i was a uh, almost finished uh, uh, track mechanic so w- what is your entry point going into uh, it it was more or less uh, useless uh, people looked at me like uh, this guy is crazy um, what does he want here he doesn't be he will not be able to finish and so on so you had a lot of people doubting uh, if i would even be fitting into that uh, let's say regime of school or if i would even be uh, smart enough to be working in it so i thought to myself well screw you guys i'm going to do whatever i want and uh, I will I will try a different way, and I started really with an uh, uh, online course, and it was called Competia R Plus. I don't even know if it still exists, but that is really the basics of IT. You know, what is a hard disk? Uh, what does a CPU do, do, do? What does a CPU does in a in, in a computer? What's the difference between RAM and ROM and all that kind of stuff? And I, in parallel, there was a. A friend of a friend, really coincidence, who has been working on a help desk and they were searching for people. And it was a help desk for uh, supporting people if they're having problems with their compact computer. Compact doesn't exist anymore. Eh? It's, uh, I think it's now. Sure, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that, that's, what is it, 16, 18 years back now. 
and I, st- and I ma- had to make a test. I don't know how many questions, but it was only one question uh, I would have failed. I wouldn't be allowed to uh, work, do the job. So I was really lucky to get in. I don't know what happened, but I, you, either they had very smart questions or I was too quick answering them or a combination of both. <laughs> but I made it. Yeah, I, I still remember uh, in my mind that I made it. And that moment that she said, yeah, you're allowed to work here and you can start. It was a company called 24 Help. In, uh, in Maastricht, I think it was also in Rotterdam, it was purely a call center. So for large organizations, for example, Compaq, Xerox, Microsoft, Apple, their help desk support was outsourced to that company. So if somebody had a problem with a Compaq, uh, they, they called the, the, the service desk and they get me on the line. <clears throat> and that was from very simple questions. Hey, how do I start my computer? Uh, yeah, plug in a cable and then see what happens. <laughs> To very complicated stuff, uh, stuff for uh, for example that you need to to clean stuff in the registry, how to install or reinstall uh, applications and so on. Um, but there was no focus on quality. There was only a focus on getting the calls done as soon as possible, and you even get paid more how more calls you did. That was early days call center. That was crazy. So how more calls you did, regardless the quality, and it's no joke. Um, you got paid more, so it was crazy. <laughs> That's. Uh, I don't think that business model would work today. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> well, no. It has completely shifted now from the user experience uh, instead of working on SLS. But in that days, it was focus on SLS. Yeah, focus to get your uh, your quota on calls. I think it was 60, 60 per day or eighty or so. And if you did above. 100, you get uh, quite some good bonus payments uh, for early 20-year-olds. So most of the people were sitting there and having a, doing an education or a, as a HBO, Informatica, or university and did that as a part-time job. But for me, it was a full-time job. And I continued learning uh, my uh, Competia R+, and get more experience dealing with customers and so on. And it was good fun. You know, it was... Uh, yeah, it was good fun. Uh, we did some crazy stuff also with, with, uh, with customers, of course. I will not go into detail, but it was it was it was crazy. You know, it was like Wall Street, but on a completely different uh, topic. I, I can I don't know how to explain it to put uh, to put it out, but I can tell you it was good fun. Give me give give me one detail. Come on. Yeah, I will do. Will do. <laughs> it's a it's a famous uh, it's a famous one. So you know, if you call help desk and. Uh, you need to go through all the menu buttons, press one of the desktop problem, press two as a laptop problem. Yeah, so you're already annoyed that you have to press five different buttons before you think you can finally speak to someone, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it comes. Then you get me on the line and I'm like, welcome to the blah, blah, blah help desk. Uh, my name is Tim Haglott. Uh, uh, there are five people waiting for you. Please hold on. And I put them on hold. Getting a coffee, coming back. Uh, thanks for waiting. There are now three people waiting for, before your turn. Uh, please wait. <laughs> and I put them back on hold. Then again, two people for two people prior uh, are for you, and then uh, I come. It's your turn. And then you could already hear them uh, because I didn't go on mute, and I still was in the call. And you could hear them like. <sighs> and then you're you're already smiling. You know, it's it's absolutely um, a nightmare for every company and. For a customer service or having a reputation like this, but it was 
sometimes fun and we did it occasionally it was not business as usual and then uh, they thought they got me on the line and then i said thank you for waiting there are 18 people prior to taking your call and then they went completely ballistic because they were waiting for i don't know <laughs> for 10 minutes and uh, uh, <laughs> and then they they, they thought uh, they needed to wait again for 18 people but then of course i, I took the call and uh, we went through and another thing was, and this is really, well, it's crazy, but it's fun to tell. And you, you can see in my face, I'm still smiling when I'm telling it. It, it. It's absolutely not allowed and it should never be done again. But there was a guy, I even know his name still, Jelle, I cannot recall his last name, but we are so into the introduction of if you pick up the phone, hello, my name is Tim Haglots. Thanks for calling the XX help desk, blah, blah, blah. And he had the same introduction line. So what we then occasionally did is that he said one word and I said one word in the entire introduction line. Can you imagine what happens if you pick up the phone and call a help desk and there are two voices telling one sentence? That's absolutely crazy. I hope definitely. Especially if you're irritated by your computer already. Yeah. <laughs> then then <laughs> it, you would go berserk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah, it wasn't it was not allowed, it was not good, but sometimes she just needed to do something funny, right? And uh, we didn't do we didn't hurt anyone in the end. We we helped them or we sent them over some uh, free software or sent them a mouse or whatever. And uh, so it was all good. So then I worked at the um at the, uh, the the service desk, I think also for two years should be uh, getting a renewal. Didn't get a renewal because the compact project uh, was stopped yeah, for obvious reasons. You could imagine, but no, it was a, a cost scrubbing thing. They wanted to do the uh, the service uh, back by them uh, by themselves. And then I was uh, uh, looking for another job, and I found a job coincidentally by twenty. Yeah, not 20, let's say 200 meters uh, where I was living. And they were searching for a service engineer, which was somebody who knew IT and somebody who knows how to work with uh, their hands. And I thought, well, looks like I'm here the perfect match. And I applied uh, and I got the job. So I started as a service engineer and that was a company called uh, PC Data. It was, they, has, they have built and own data warehouse management systems for the bakery industry. Now they are more or less everywhere. I think 200 people are working over there. They are still successful. Mark leader in what they do. Still a small company, but globally. And um, they had a solution to automate uh, how to <clears throat> store the bread into the magazine with displays and where you need to drag it to and then where to put it to and pick it up and it was all paperwork you know and they automated it and you had a lot of cost savings and it went faster and it was a, it was sold by itself i was not in sales if there was a problem with the with the software which the, which they uh, designed by themselves and also developed on code written or there was something broken with the hardware it was me i was the first one uh, hired in this job going there and while the company was growing, uh, there came a second one, there came a third one, and then they asked me, hey, do you want to become the so-called team leader or service manager? I want to work that through. I said, yeah, why not? Let's, uh, let's do that. In parallel, I also started my uh, HBO Informatica um, uh, education, uh, all next to my 30 hours of work. So I was doing my 30 hours of work, and sometimes even 50 or 60, you know what it is in your early days. Um, and they also had a 24-7 uh, hotline. 
which was uh, in that time I loved it. It was crazy. There were people then caught because bakeries they bake. Uh, I think it's in the in the night, and then they distribute it in the warehouses uh, during uh, the the night shift between one and four o'clock, and between four and I think nine o'clock or something like that. It needs to be delivered to all the different um, stores, so it's fresh bread. So. They needed a help desk in the evening. So sometimes they were even calling at three o'clock at night and saying the system isn't working. I have 20 people waiting here and nobody can work and the bread cannot get to the stores. And there was a lot of money on the line because if the bread is not delivered, the company doesn't get any money. And there will be uh, some claims towards our company, perhaps, if uh, we uh, failed them, so to speak. And we were still a small company and we wanted to have a good uh, quality and a good service. So sometimes you are even working between 9 and 10 o'clock in the evening. In the middle of the night, you need to drive to Rotterdam to fix something, then drive back again, be in the office at 7. It was crazy, but it was so a lot of fun. And I've learned so much at that company. And it was a small company. And there is where I learned all the aspects of business. Yeah? Because it's a, a large company, which I worked before, the help desk company, you were all, always help desk employees or team leaders. Yeah, that's basically it. So. At PCData, I learned to have a look in the entire business flow because it were only, I don't know, 50, 70, or 100 people. But the majority was sitting in Kerkerade, uh, which is the city where they, where they were settled. And they um, everything was there. It was their headquarters. You had finance, you had sales, you had the, the, the board was sitting there, you had operations, development. And I was the guy working, walking around to even hardware department they had. I was walking. I needed to know everything because in the end, if something breaks, I need to know what the hell are they talking about. If I didn't know what hardware they developed and put to the customer, and I don't know how that works, from a software perspective and from a hardware perspective, the service desk would not run anymore, right? So I was everywhere, and that was where I started to find an interest in, in business itself. And it was really really a good school to 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 get to know uh, how business works and if you only focus if you only work in finance for example you have perhaps some clue how business works that's perhaps an, a different story but if you only work in a, as a mechanic you don't know what finance does no, you, you no clue yeah you're you're uh, this distracted or distracted not distracted but you're actually eliminated from the whole process so you're only doing one thing yeah which is, a, which is a shame. And the problem when I, when I look back at the education and uh, education um, run you need to take is you need to you, you, you do a VPO or a gymnasium or something else, and then you want to specialize in something. But you have at that age, like 16 or 15 or 17 or 18, yes, you have absolutely no clue what a salespeople do. What does a finance people do yeah you believe you know something but honestly as there's school and as doing the work and you cannot judge on the on the school stuff uh, how the job is yeah the job can be fantastic but the school can be shit so to be honest you don't even want to read all the things that a finance or a controller perhaps needs to learn but if you then look at what he's actually doing come from a work experience it's a completely different world and it can be a lot of fun yeah, and that, that is where I think if you have the chance and start early in your career, either do a startup because that's a trend nowadays, or again, a company where you can learn all the different aspects of a business and then make up your mind, do I want to stick in this particular uh, job or do I want to perhaps try this or try that yeah, and then make a decision? You know, look at me and I'm not finished with my story yet. 
but I have already jumped from different uh, things which I love to do where I am now. And um, yeah, that is at least what I want to give uh, to, to people is to uh, be open. Yeah? Don't lock yourself down early in your, in your ages uh, for a specific job. Taste the world uh, and, and try it out. And the good thing was then at PC Data, they grow quite fast. And I had quite made a lot of experience in, the, in its service management, so to speak. So I was setting up the incident process and making nice flows and, and PowerPoint. And how does the service operation model work? When I called someone, how do you need to log it, implement a tool? I think it was called TopDesk uh, by then. Uh, now everybody is in service now, uh, but then it was top, uh, TopDesk. Was, I think it's even a Dutch company. But it was a great uh, software tool. And um, I had a lot of experience with that. And then after a couple of years, I, uh, one of my um, co early coaches said, uh, for once in your lifetime, you at least should go into sales. It's always good to have some sales in your CV or have the experience being the front runner of the company and see it from a different perspective. Because service delivery is always, once something is sold, you're there to support. You're not the one that is hunting and farming and making deals or whatever. It's a, it's a different uh, animal you need to, uh, to you need to take care of. And uh, I took that advice. Um, I had a lot of fun still at PC Data. Uh, and then I went to a smaller company, which was called Data4. Um, and they did... Um, uh, they sold, uh, I think that's the wrong term, They, you could hire a professional uh, IT. If you need somebody for, to, uh, it's called data sharing in Dutch. I, I'm not, what is it? What is it in English? I'm honestly unsure. What is it called in English? Do you know what I mean? D data sharing? Data sharing. Data sharing. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, uh, working <laughs> on the interface, right? Yeah. Data yeah. sharing. Yeah. So uh, actually uh, staffing staffing is exactly it's staffing so they exactly that's the one so they did staffing for it people so i needed to do cold calls uh, to organizations and introduce ourselves and if they would be interested in uh, staffing some it people if they have a shortage or they couldn't fill up a, a specific job description and so on it was a lot of fun cold calling uh, in the beginning was fun in the end it was uh, not so fun anymore i think that's uh, i think you should have been doing it yeah if you want to go and say it uh, if you would ask me would you do it again i would say it depends <laughs> to be <laughs> politically correct but i did that and uh, but that was a, for me it wasn't a fit you know it was a, it was a good company and they were still growing um, but it was no fit. I had no, you know, um, I liked IT. There was little to do with IT because it was only the staffing portion and the sales portion. Um, honestly, I wasn't the best uh, uh, sales guy out there because I was just not so interested in it. Yeah? I'm just being honest. It's the way the way I am. And then I was searching for another job and I found a job at, uh, at T-Systems and uh, also in my neighborhood where I lived in, in Herlen, which is in the southern southern uh, area of the Netherlands and I looked for a delivery manager. So a guy who is again managing a delivery perspective for a signed contract of, an, uh, of, an, uh, of a customer. And I thought I will never get this job because I always worked at smaller companies like 50 people, 100 people that or on help desk. You know, on help desk was not really a standing uh, thing you could say, hey, this is a good thing to have in your resume. But they hired me, and uh, my salary increased immediately, like crazy, uh, because they had some kind of a, a balance uh, sheets, 
which says if you have this job role, you need to have this salary. And I was hundreds of euros down, which I asked, uh, but they said, we cannot give you <laughs> that low money because uh, you need to fit in this role. You get this kind of money. You have skills. Yeah. You have skills in, in the roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was, I think it was 700 euro more than I expected to gain yeah, in my early days. And I was like, well, of course I signed. Where do I need to sign? I don't need to think about it. Just give me the bloody contract. I will quit <laughs> today. You know, it's I'm gone. I'm not into money that much. But if you, in my early days, if you get that much more than you would expect, and what you expect is already more. I was thrilled to get in. It was a big company. You know, they have more than, what is it, 100,000 people uh, globally, doing IT on a on a big scale, they had, they still have large logos in the, in the in the Netherlands, in Europe, and also global. And there, my career more or less uh, went into acceleration because I knew this is the business I want to be in. IT outsourcing, I found it so interesting, and also it put me completely out of my comfort zone because it was so broad. The numbers were even then were so big, you know, they were like, you have a customer, customer X, and you manage a contract of 2 million per annum. I'm like, fuck me, 2 million per annum, that's, that's crazy, you know, that's for me, it, it was huge. You're coming from a call center, going to being responsible for a contract uh, worth 2 million, I'm like, okay, that intrigues me a bit, yeah, but it, I thought this is... You know, I'm getting again out of my comfort zone, and there is where I perform best. And I thought, okay, this is this is fun. You know, the numbers I like, the people I like, because most of them are really professionals. If you if you get in there, and also the content I understood, because for example, one of the customers I was serving um, had a contract for a service desk, and I, of course, immediately knew how that works because I have done it myself and. A lot of people say the best salespeople are not uh, really salespeople. I think it's true. Uh, so if you have a mechanical background or a help desk background or something else and not born as a salesman, I think you can be very successful being a salesman. And if you even know the content like an engineer and people don't, if, you know, if you come in and you say, hey, I'm sales and I'm, I'm responsible for this and that, and they're like, okay, this guy wants to sell me something, but from a content perspective, he's the wrong guy to talk to. And then you can really, if you can make the switch and talk content, and to be honest, now it's a bit different because now I'm talking different numbers and different solutions. But from a helpless perspective, I could completely follow the discussion and make proposals how it really works because I've done it. And that uh, intrigued also people and say, hey, he's not only doing uh, sales, but he also knows the content. <clears throat> and... Um, yeah, that made me feel uh, good, and uh, it was a good company to work for. Um, I was uh, a top performer, uh, not to, br to brag, but uh, by becoming a top performer, you were also allowed to make a big investment either in yourself at the company, or you could do, for example, a school uh, education next to it. A lot of people went for the uh, internal promotion or uh, internal uh, uh, trainings because they were quite older than me. I was still young. I was in my early 20s. And I said, I want to do an MBA. You know, I finished my uh, HBO, Informatica, done. I want to do an MBA. And I said, well, what does it cost? I'm like, I don't know, 45, 50K. 
they're like, oh, it's quite an investment. So they made up, of course, an, an agreement that if I leave within three years, I need to pay it back. And that's a, I think that's fine. You know, if people or an organization make a big investment in you and you leave uh, the, immediately after, you know, it's like, you know, it's like screwing them over, so to speak. And uh, I thought yeah, it was... That's not fair. Uh, yeah, You're I think it's unfair. In your knowledge, you can perform better. Yeah. And uh, of course, they got a deduction from tax and so on. But still, I think it was 42K of uh, euros uh, to, to, to do my MBA. And uh, they immediately said, yes, but you need to sign this. And no discussion. Yeah, they said, you are, we see you in your career moving forward. You have been a top performer. Sign us off and do your MBA. The only problem was it was one day Every three weeks, I needed to go to uh, to school. So one day, uh, needed to go do some education, and I asked, "Is that a problem?" They said, "No, that's no problem. We just do what you need to do, and uh, time management is uh, up to you. Um, you know, we don't have timesheets. Um, you do what you need to do." And it was giving me so an empowerment that I thought I will never leave this company. You know, because you felt. I don't want to call it special, yeah, because that sounds perhaps a bit odd, but you know what I mean. If you feel recognized. And uh, they see potential in you and they're feeding you, for example, with that MBA uh, training. Why would you leave? Yeah? You feel comfortable. You feel empowered. Um, people uh, loved, loved to work with me. I loved to work with them because we, they were doing very interesting things. And I wanted to continue learning and stepping out of my comfort zone. And I started as a, a delivery manager. And then a service delivery manager because you have sales who's selling stuff. You have service who's upselling stuff and responsible for the quality. And then you have a delivery guy who is only focusing on the cost and the delivery. And then they combined the service element and the delivery element. But tell me if I go into too much detail. Huh? But they uh, combined that now. And then I was a service delivery manager. And then, then it happened to me that I made the flip from focusing on service or delivery and went into sales. Because there was an engagement going on with a customer. It was a Friesland Campina, also a Dutch company. And uh, there was a sales guy on it. It was He was called Manu van Leeuwen, a very special guy. If you, uh, It's one of a kind. Uh, I'm not going into detail, but it's one of a kind. On good things and bad things, but majority were good things. And uh, he had a will to bring this customer in. And he was so driven at it. And it, everybody doubted that guy. Uh, not by his knowledge, but uh, if they're going to sign with uh, these systems in, uh, back in the days. And it all started with uh, providing a service for free servers. Free. That's peanuts. You know, it's like uh, the uh, the pommes Buddha uh, at the corner. Uh, they do more uh, revenue than free servers. And we did that for, I don't know, I think eight months or so. And then the official RFP started. So an RFP, Request for Proposal, larger organizations send out an RFP and uh, companies like T-Systems, like Atos, uh, Unify, IBM, basically all the, 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 the IT outsourcers get uh, invited if they are on the list of a provider. And we also got it. And then I got into uh, making deals, but not from a sales perspective, but from a service delivery perspective still. And that completely overwhelmed me with how much focus, how much power, how much energy is in that team. You know, there is an entire team focusing on bringing this customer home. And it was big money uh, on the line as well, because this was a, 
I think, and I'm just telling a range because uh, I, I don't think it would be good to tell the exact numbers, but if I'm not mistaken, the contract was worth between 30 million, also 3-0, and uh, 60 million. And for me, that was absolutely huge. And we won the contract in the end. But it wasn't the winning that got me, let's say, into deal-making. It was the entire process, the adrenaline, the working as a team, making slides uh, that uh, as a backup uh, for the story that you're trying to tell the customer that you are the one to uh, to, to buy from. Um, and it was fantastic. I, I loved it. And that after um, a couple of uh, doing that deal, I did some others, and then the entire sales organizations got uh, wiped out. There was a new CEO on board, and he had a completely different mindset, different way of working. Uh, he's not there there anymore, right? So it's not the one that is currently there. And this is, this is again, uh, what is it now? Almost eight to ten years back. So a lot of things potentially now have changed, I think so. <clears throat> but that guy completely killed, uh, so to speak, the entire sales organization. He basically kicked them out. Well, it's crazy. Uh, so... Then I got uh, hat-hunted, was the first time I got hat-hunted, and I started working. I, 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 I did, in the end, well, I need to step back a bit. I, in the end, I, I worked it at the Shell account uh, at these systems, and there was a big portion of the delivery organization was working in Frankfurt. Uh, so I was traveling quite often to Frankfurt, to Ashbourne, to be precise, and there is uh, where I met my uh, wife. She was the uh, assistant of uh, one of the guys that I, I worked with, and it was also quite coincidence that I should have, I should have gone with a dinner with that guy. And he said, no, I cannot go, but uh, Julia will, will, will go with you. Would you like to go with Julia? I said, yeah, fine. I, I didn't know her. I didn't saw her before. So why not? Uh, and I went dinner with her. I'm like, okay, this is, um, this is, uh, <laughs> this is good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> not only from an outside perspective, but also from a contact perspective after having a one-hour lunch. And so it, it started. Uh, building a relationship it took still some time before we went into a relationship because he also went to the u.s to new york uh, for six months so uh, i was a bit hooked to her as a german and i was still living in the netherlands and then um, <clears throat> i uh, i made uh, we went we we came together it uh, took some while to get together but then we are together and i lived in in Haarlem. she lived in frankfurt and uh, working at the shell account means working in den haag den haag which is, uh, what is it, four, five hundred kilometers uh, travel one direction. So that you was mini vacations. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it was absolutely crazy. So I did that for some while, and then I said, this is not working. Um, either you jump to the Netherlands, and I was always, uh, I thought Germany, it's bigger. Uh, I like the people, to be honest. They are, they're nice, they are down to earth. Different than, for example, the, the Hague people or Rotterdam people, um, the Cologne people or they are more down to earth. They don't judge you immediately how you look, for example. Or through I found in the Netherlands, uh, sometimes this you, you you already get judged before you said something. Uh, I think that is in our human beings, yeah, to some extent. But I thought, and if you go to the uh, square thinking, to yeah. literally translate it from the Dutch. Yeah, I think it's uh, squares. <laughs> yeah, but we do it also. Right? It's the same with cars. If you look at a car and you immediately think, ah, oh, it's a nice car. Huh? Immediately. But if you look under the hood, it could be a shitty car. And you can look at a decent car, but if you look under the hood, it's a very yeah. expensive engine and a yeah, good car. <laughs> uh, you, you really have to, you have to uh, show some genuine interest to yes. discover anything and anybody. Yes. So that goes for a car and a person. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And uh, regardless what rank, regardless what age, and regardless what race or nationality, it's all the same. Absolutely all the same. Yeah. But honestly, in, in my, my early career, I was still, uh, you know, uh, how to call it? Um, uh, I thought I knew it all. Yeah, I was still learning, but somehow I was always the youngest, so I needed to stand out a bit. But uh, I wouldn't call it arrogant, Yeah, but it, it could be... To, uh, towards arrogant. I wasn't arrogant, but it could be becoming arrogant if I wasn't be careful. And that sometimes uh, uh, hit me in my career, uh, in my early career. And well, it still does as a Dutchman working in Germany, but that's a thing for later, perhaps. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, uh, for in, within big organizations, polit politics is key. Uh, at the beginning, I thought politics is, uh, is lunatic, it doesn't well, exist, mm -hmm. uh, blah, blah, blah. How did you tackle that, uh, that since you weren't exactly a diplomat in your young age? <laughs> no, that for, to the most extent uh, it blocked me uh, because people just said, no, I don't want to work with this guy. But on the other hand, I was good at what I was doing. You know, I was young. I, I still could have been shaped. But the problem was uh, I didn't have a mentor or a coach. Of course, I had a, uh, I had a manager or a VP above you, but that's something else. You know, a mentor or a coach is some, somebody that will put you out of your comfort zone, but keeps you and hooks you still so you don't feel running away. And he... he, he well... <laughs> I, I I mentor a lot of uh, a lot of uh, professionals or or young students still, so it's someone that kicks your ass and then afterwards gives you a hug. Yes. So you you face <laughs> the brutal facts. Yes. No, there is no mama yes. mama uh, mama papa advice. No. Uh, like oh you did well. No, you delivered yes. shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm being honest and. Uh, yeah. I think it's uh, it's underrated being honest. A lot of people still believe they need to be politically correct, but I always say it's uh, better to give a, a good no than a bad yes. As an example, right? people just tend to say yes, then the, the conversation is over. Although they would like to say uh, no, and I had uh, in the early days not a coach or a mentor uh, who was helping me dealing with the politics. Yeah? And I was focusing on my career. I was focusing on uh, getting my MBA done. And then is where it's, I get mature, of course. You, you, you don't party that much anymore. You're not the rebel you used to be. So you mature also from, uh, from your surroundings, from the people uh, uh, who you surround with. And then I uh, learned a lot um, at T-Systems. And then I, again, I, get, uh, I was headhunted the first time. And there was a company uh, called Atos, uh, and they wanted to uh, uh, to hire me to work on the uh, Siemens account, which was in Munich. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? I was just in a relationship with somebody in Frankfurt, and they wanted me to come to Munich. I like, well, I'm open. I'm I would go. Why not? Why when not now? When when then? <laughs> so to speak. And the, the package was good. So why not? So I asked my uh, my girlfriend uh, in back in those days, and we were not that long together, a couple of months. Hey, um, I'm considering moving to Munich. Would you considering moving with me going to Munich? And she said, "Yeah, let's do it." I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so she uh, she also worked at there. You figured out there. You figure out you're going to marry her after yes. she answered yes to that question. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. That that was uh, one thing. And there was one before, and that is um, we always had an, uh, 
uh, we had a relationship, but it wasn't that uh, fixed as a relationship. And she, uh, we knew that that was fine because she also said I still needed to, to go away, and she was still very young, and I appreciated that. And she, she always said I will, I will go to New York for a specific time. Six months could be longer, so I'm not even ready for going into a relationship now. And to be honest, I was also still in my 20s. I didn't want to be in a relationship myself. Just being honest. And then she was, and then the funny part happened is that uh, then she finally went to the US. And then I started doubting, um, hey, there's something missing. You know, I'm like, where is she? She, she was only sometimes there on the weekend and we did some fun stuff and we had a lot of fun. And then she wasn't there anymore. And we were still having in contact and so on. And then after uh, six, seven months, she came back and we met again in Frankfurt. And then it hit me like a, a bazooka. And I said, this is the woman I want to marry to. And uh, it sounds like a movie or so, <laughs> but it is, <laughs> it is really, it really happened. And people always tell you, yeah, you, you will be hit once you find the right one or one you will not you're not searching for them or her or him whatever you prefer but um she's out there and once you see her it's going to be her and uh, i i never i never believed in it no i was still in my 20 was doing my thing i thought well <laughs> no way yeah right yeah. <laughs> perhaps in the 60s or so but uh, <laughs> no but it happened and um yeah, then, then, then that was point number one. I knew I wanted to marry this woman. And then the second time was then when we went to uh, going to Munich. And then, of course, she immediately said yes. So she was also empowering me. And uh, also she wanted to go away again. And we went to Munich. And we spent, I think, eight to ten months in Munich working uh, at that company. And then we, for private reasons, we, we decided we wanted to go back. So I didn't want to go to Frankfurt because that was too far away from my friends in the Netherlands. And she didn't want to go to the Netherlands because she cannot speak any Dutch. So we said, well, let's see what's in the middle then. And then we found Cologne was in the middle. I've never been in Cologne before. <laughs> and uh, she has some family here. But we just made up the decision we go to Cologne because it's in the middle. We want to get out of Munich. Uh, she was pregnant uh, by then also. That's why we wanted to get back a bit with, uh, with friends and family. That was one of the main reasons. Yeah, and then we, uh, we find a, a spot in, in Cologne where we still live. Bought a house now, uh, not in Cologne, but just outside of Cologne because the house prices in big cities, the same as in the Netherlands and Germany, is absolutely crazy. And I always wanted a garden and have my son walking around. And instead of I need to go out of a... Uh, apartment then i need to walk 50 minutes before i find a park and you know people like that they're the city they like to live in a city i like to live in a house where i have some garden and i can do things by myself um but coming back to my professional um <laughs> professional story so i, st I continued working at artists as that was still in sales um, and then there needed to be uh, a big contract uh, renewed at a large uh, company. And a lot of people were um, externals, not from uh, working on the account, but working all over the world and hunting and managing large complex deals. And nobody from the account, and there were hundreds of people uh, working on account, uh, they invited to work on uh, renewing that deal. But for some reason... Due to my enthusiasm, due to I have done some sales, 
also connections and networking, uh, they ask me if I want to work also on this renewal. And I'm like, absolutely, you know, where can I start? And then I, I met my, my coach uh, who taught me how to run deals. Because if you're in sales, you can be good at sales and no doubt about it. And I think it's still, you cannot learn sales. Of course, there are things you can educate yourself, how to bring a story instead of presenting a slide, how to convince the customer you're the right choice, how to mitigate risk because people buy from someone uh, where they have less risk and even they would allow to pay even more. That's all the things you can learn. But running big deals, for example, 50 million plus deals, as I'm currently doing, cannot learn at school. And nobody from a large organization is going to tell you who has never done it before, who was still in his uh, early 30s, uh, hey, here's a 200 million deal. I know you have never done it before, but hey, take a shot. <laughs> no, <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> First of all, it's 200 million. Second, uh, the time and effort a company needs to invest, uh, either or winning the deal, is uh, within the hundreds of thousands of uh, euros. So either you win it, and then you have, of course, balanced it out of the 200 million. But if you lose it, you could have lost full cost blown 200K, of course. You know, some companies don't even have the revenue 200K per year. You just it out and that is not even considering a very large deal it's still a majority deal so the numbers are a big stake uh, and nobody will trust you to do it but the coach he was an uh i will not call him an old timer but somebody from uh he was a bit well he was older old than age. me uh, yeah old ages old timer, I would call him old -timer. <laughs> and he was uh, yeah he was from london from the uk and he was one of the, uh, we call it the old stample, old stample, old stample, old, I yeah. don't know how to re rephrase it in, in English. But he knows his work. He has done, I don't know how many deals, how many billions of deals he has done in total in his entire career. And he, you could not teach that guy how to run deals. He teaches you how to run a deal. And um, he wanted to coach me. And I said, yeah, of course. And uh, I asked him in the end, did you want to uh, coach me? He said, yeah, I would like to do that on one condition. I'm like, oh, God, what does he want for me? Does he want to have my bonus in the end? Or does he want to, uh, I don't know what. He said, the only condition I ask you is if uh, once you can run deals, I want you to coach other people as well and continue uh, people educating and learning it because this is how I learn it as well. Because, again, you cannot learn it at school. And you cannot even learn it in sales because running sales is also a broad term. But running big deals is a niche for itself. And there are not a lot of people in the world uh, who really master the art of closing, for example, or master the art of, uh, of running deals. I said, yes, and that's what I'm still doing. So, uh, so where can I sign up? Yeah, go to my website, timagles.com, <laughs> and uh, fill out the form and I get in contact. No, it's really it's true. Because a lot of people uh, are afraid because of the big numbers. And um, it, it, it only has two ways. Either you are successful, you will earn good money, to be honest, uh, and you have a good career. But uh, lose two, three, four big deals. It's a small market, at least in the IT industry. Of course, you have finance or banking, but I'm not familiar with that uh, specific industry. But in the, uh, in the IT industry, everybody knows each other who's working on big deals. Yeah. Not everyone, but you know what I mean. Huh? So if you fail four or five times, forget it. You're completely out.
perhaps even two times you're already out because you have lost a lot of money and uh, running a big deal normally takes you six months to, for example, two and a half years. And if you spend all that money and in the end loses, well, first, second place is first loser. So you are responsible as deal maker bringing the deal home, not the team, yeah, not the management, not the customer, nobody else, you. And it's a lot of pressure and that's why it's a lot of fun. And that is where I, I help or at least try to explain people what it really is because people are not familiar with it. You know, if you work in a normal organization or with 100 people or even in big organizations, running big deals is not something you see. You know, Those people are flying around. Those are always uh, is a small group of people networking with each other because winners work with winners. That's how it, it is in, uh, in big deals. And um, to get into that circle, um, you need to at least have some kind of a knowledge uh, to speak with those people. And they have a lot of things on the line. They have a lot of pressure. Top management is directly involved. There is no step in between where you can say, yeah, but my manager said this or this or that. Forget it. It's you. And um, yeah, that's what, what I do as a hobby, so to speak. I'm not even asking money for it. It's just trying to, uh, to broaden the knowledge on what it is. And um, yeah, that's what, that's what I currently do. And, uh, and eventually we closed that deal. It was more than $2 billion in total. Uh, but it was not only granted to me, eh? let's be honest. So it was a big deal, $2 billion, But there were specific subsets of contracts. For example, one was service desk, one was cloud, one was workplace, and all those things together. Yeah, <clears throat> you yeah it was differentiation. <clears throat> yeah. So I did two of them. Uh, afterwards did a big extend and that was my first uh, deal uh, quite a big deal it was 100 million plus was my first one uh, in the APEC region so I needed to fly to Singapore Kuala Lumpur and I had a lot of pressure you know I was I'm I'm not saying arrogant again but I'm uh, you know if you get coached and you think you know it all you get a little bit empowerment cocky. You know? yeah, yeah. cocky yeah <laughs> because you're surrounded with successful people you will feel surrounded uh, you will feel uh, uh, empowered and successful as well yeah? if you surround yourself with 10 uh, uh, what is it data scientists uh, eventually you will become a data scientist yeah right? that's that's a bit you know show me your friends and I'll show you your future that that absolutely true. applies to this <clears throat> yeah uh, and it's true uh, looking at my past, I also had some bad friends, which in the end I need to say, guys, I, I really like you as a friend, but you're doing stuff I cannot cope with. You know, this is not, um, this doesn't work. You know, they didn't work. <laughs> I wanted this, my work to work. You know, it didn't work. It didn't fit. We still are in contact, perhaps once a year or so, but sometimes you need to make decisions because it's it, it's so true. You know, it's so true. You get if you surround yourself with bad people, you will become. It's my perception of the world huh? so it, yeah, we're uh, the re we're the uh, I truly believe that we are the result of our environment yeah and we choose our environment sometimes you're well uh, uh, um, conditioned into a certain environment yeah but it, in the end it is you that chooses to remain there or to move agree uh, yeah and I think it's saying goodbye to what actually affects you um, in bad way um, that is very hard for most people yes because you're uh, breaking up potentially long-lasting relationships, uh, you're not having those friends anymore, which you would go party with. You're sometimes you're alone, um, but uh, in the end, it makes you only stronger. And I, I will go. Uh, I will go Dalai Lama on you. I believe it's better to move 
uh, alone in the right direction than with the masses in the wrong one. Yeah, sure. I'm, so, I'm uh, absolutely uh, with you. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, there is a, there's a, well, it, it, it's a quote within combat sports because one of my hobbies is doing uh, boxing and kickboxing. Oh, and it, and nice. it has a it has a lot of synergies with sales, and I think that uh, that sounds odd, but it really is, because for example, the fight starts before you enter the fight. Uh, same as with sales. So before an RFP is launched, the process has already started. Yeah, uh, or before you present, you know, it's uh, it's already started. So there's quite some synergies, <clears throat> and. Um, there's a famous it, quote uh, by uh, by a famous fighter. I think you know him, Conor McGregor. I think everybody who's in uh, either if you're not in combat sport, that guy made a name. If he's good or bad, I leave it in the middle. But he has a, a, a saying: it is uh, winners focus on winning and losers focus on winners. And I think that's so true. That is, and that's what. Uh, what, what I love, and uh, uh, that's something that drives me still. And if you if you then going back to the the deal that I did in uh, in Apex, so I was surrounded with those successful people, and I wanted to win. And I don't want to focus on them. Was still I I was looked at that I was still the shadow of my coach because he was still employed there. So I was always the shadow. So now I needed to get out of the shadow and manage it by myself. So he was still with me because again. They will not allow you to manage and close a deal of 100 million uh, plus uh, without any, let's say, senior guy looking over it. It's too much at stake. <clears throat> but uh, he was in the same room, for example, but I was leading it. Yeah? And he was not coaching me in front of other people. He was coaching me either in the evening at the bar, at a beer, or uh, mornings at seven between us, between us, and I'm asking for feedback. And he... And he was brutally honest, so there was nothing in between. You know, he was just saying if it was shit, it was shit, and you you would sense it was shit. And I give you one, ex I can give you an, a good example of it. That was uh, so we did the, the two billion din in total in Munich, and we needed to fly in every week. So every Tuesday, I needed to fly from Cologne to Munich, which is only fifty minutes, but with all the traffic, it's still a couple of hours. And on Thursday, you needed to fly back. At the beginning, you think, well, this is cool. I fly every week. You're feeling empowered again. You're important that they fly you in and so on. But I can tell you, after two years, you, know, you don't want to fly to Munich anymore. <laughs> you want to stay at home. <laughs> so then I flew into Munich on Monday. It was on a Monday, correct? And um, because there was a meeting set up on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And on Monday afternoon, the customer decided we will not do those meetings this week. We will do them a week after. So I made the decision. I fly home and I uh, come back next week so I can enjoy a couple of days uh, at home. And I was at home and I was already putting my, uh, my, my suit out and uh, starting to relax. And my boss called me because he, <laughs> he landed a couple of hours later. I mean, he said, Tim, where are you? On a very political way, but I already could sense there's something wrong. I said, uh, I'm at home. Ah, you're at home. Why are you at home? I'm like, well, my meetings uh, didn't go this week. Uh, I, I thought I, I stayed at home. He said, I give you one day to fly back to Munich or you don't need to come fly in again. And he hang up the phone. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Why Why do I need to be... Uh, and I was still in the early uh, phases, so it was one and a half years or so. I'm like, what the hell happened? And I was feeling very terrible because I was like, that was really the first time in 
a long time that really somebody uh, put me uh, to, on the spot. It was really uncomfortable and really direct. I'll through it was a very short message. You could sense <laughs> he could explode. Yeah, you know? <laughs> he, he did something <laughs> stupid. You know, it was not good. So I flew in again on Tuesday morning, <clears throat> and then we uh, he took me apart. He, he didn't took me apart, but he took me apart by sitting with us too, and then he took me apart. <laughs> <laughs> but he was he was explaining the fundamental of why he uh, he believes I need to be here. He said I don't care if you have a meeting with the customer. I don't care if you have something to do here. If your team is here and all the others are working and flying in from all over the world to be here, yeah, and you are one of the leading people here, you will be there. Or even if you have nothing to do, you will buy pizza. You will get them the sandwiches. You will get them coffee. I don't give a shit what you do, but you will be here with them. And never forget, if you are not here, yeah, you need to be the example. It's a team effort. If you don't believe you should be doing this this is not a job for you boom full stop and i'm like uh, okay <laughs> you know sometimes you just want <laughs> no to die yourself yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and that is what i think oh. why uh, why a coach or a mentor just uh, you need a coach or a mentor that's my honest opinion if you want to scale up your uh, the game or get out of, get out, get out of your comfort zone make a good career i think um, only learning in the books or doing the right things on the right way, I think, yes, you can have a career. I'm no doubt about that. But having a coach that um, tells you how it works, for me, it was very valuable. And uh, and that's what I still do now for others as well. And the fundamentals of what he learned me, they are very old school. Let's say home office doesn't exist in his mind. Yeah? Now it does because of COVID-19. But home office, he said, I don't care about home office or what's in your contract. If I tell you, you need to be here, you will be here. If you don't want to be here, fine. Find a job somewhere else. <laughs> Very simple. And uh, I love it. You know, a lot of people are uh, offended by it or they go into a defense. They don't know what to do with uh, with this kind of a uh, person because he was very... Um, um, how Straight to, call to the it? point. Uh, yeah. yeah. Brut- and people, brutally honest, as you said. Yeah, brutally honest. And a lot of people don't know what to do with it. And uh, people well, like me they, love they, it. They, that is the everybody wants to know the truth and then they call you an asshole. Yeah, yeah, behind the backs, huh? Not yeah. uh, in a straight face. Yeah, which I would love to do. If people, I always try to uh, I tell people that if you think I'm wrong, yeah, and I treat everyone from the the lowest level in the organization to the highest level, and that's potentially because I'm Dutch. Yeah, for for us, everybody's the same. Here in Germany, it's something else. They are a little bit more into hierarchy, and it's not allowed to talk about the manager. Country, right? Yeah, it's crazy, absolutely <laughs> crazy. Uh, it's it's it's. But they're doing a good. They're having a great economy. So t- to yeah. some extent, it works. <laughs> but a Dutch guy like me, uh, working in a large German organization, can get you sometimes into trouble because for me, everybody is on one line. So if I manage a deal team. Regardless what your role is, you're all the same. If you're running the numbers, if you're building the solution, even if you're the guy making the help desk calls, you know I've been there. Yeah, uh, why I'm not you having treat everybody the same. Yes, sometimes you need to be the leader and tell people, hey, stop fucking around. This is what we need to do. Yeah, focus on this. Is sometimes you need people need steering. Yeah, same as me. You need people to to focus. But um, everybody has a voice. 
And even the people in the room who don't speak, they have a voice, but you need to ask them. And most, what I found out, but it always comes in aging and going into career and learning and reflecting, um, they are not they are afraid to speak up their mind because a lot of more sales-driven people, they love to talk. You know, they, 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 they raise their voice, they stand up, they have emotions. Italians will be rolling over the floor. Um, you know <laughs> you know how it is. Huh? <laughs> and um, yeah, I learned that if somebody says nothing in a meeting, I will point to him and ask, hey, what's your opinion? I want to hear your opinion. And most of the time, very valuable information comes out. But that's something... I learned over the years and uh, I won that deal in the end. Uh, so that was my first large one. Of course, I've done smaller deals uh, prior to that one, but it was my first 100 million plus deal. And I had a lot of fun in the organization. <clears throat> I was then asked to, uh, to run a large account, which had an annual revenue of 100 million. And that's something else, you know, managing a, a big deal is uh, you're the sprinter. Huh? So you need to run uh, Zero perform. meters. Yeah, you need to perform crucial in this uh, in this one year to win the deal. But if you manage a large account with a lot of people and customer, and you have a marathon, uh, you cannot win a sprint. You need to. You cannot say to the customer, "We do this or we do that," because you're still there after one year. And I could do that next to my deal maker role, and I had a lot of fun. And uh, was Artus is a great company to work for. Uh, I worked there for, what is it, five, five and a half years or so. And then um, I was headhunted again, and this is now roughly one year ago, by uh, by Salesforce. Well, to be honest, by a different company, which name I would not like to mention because uh, I was going to that company. They hired me, but it was the same company, same um, company like I was uh, always in. So I have been 10 years in the IT industry. That was uh, T-Systems and at Atos, and that company was similar. And it was I will not call the name, but it was similar. And then Salesforce asked me, hey, do, do you want to come to work uh, at Salesforce? And I'm like, Salesforce? That's a completely different company. It's a marketing sales organization like crazy. Everybody knows them. Everybody loves them. But one of the best workplaces in the world, I think even number one in innovation, I'm like, I can always go back in the industry that I've worked for. Let's try it out. And I tried it. <laughs> uh, and after uh, six months, I decided, no, I, I, I want to run deals. I want, to win, I want to run and focus on big numbers. And unfortunately, Salesforce at that time, perhaps not they have, but I don't think so. It's eight, mon eight months ago now. Um, they didn't have that. Uh, they don't. They didn't have that role as a dealmaker. Uh, only potentially, but it was um, yeah limited, so to speak, not to my full uh, full expertise or full knowledge. Because in a big organization, uh, and it's in all the same, uh, regardless if it's Atos, D Systems, IBM, Infosys, Unisys, call them all. If you run a big deal, it's chaotic like crazy. Uh, Excel flies flying around. A lot of people, a lot of politics, a lot of interests, a lot of... It's crazy. You know, it's like Wolf of Wall Street running in an organization. And it is because you don't have only the customer that you need to convince. You need to convince your own organization that this is a good deal. You need to convince the CFO that this deal is profitable. You need to convince the portfolio people that they need to uh, bring in additional features which they didn't thought about. Otherwise, we will not win the deal. So it's crazy. It's like running a... 
campaign uh, running for president. You need to get folks to vote for you. Otherwise, you will not even uh, bring out an, uh, an offer to the customer or um, uh, be successful uh, running a deal. And working at Salesforce, which was a, a, still a smaller company, but a, a, honestly, a great company to work for, but it was all uh, software in the cloud. So they had no Excel, Excel files. It was not even installed on your MacBook. It wasn't there. They did everything in that tool. And it was amazing how they did it, but it actually works. It really, really works. A lot of organizations work on Salesforce, but from a process perspective, a very few uh, big organizations still uh, fully embrace the entire package of Salesforce that eliminates all the crazy Excel files. That's uh, that's very powerful, and uh, of course they have a name in the market uh, that they uh, they're really good, and everybody wants to work there. And I decided to leave, and they have a, a nutrition or attrition. Is it nutrition or attrition? I cannot recall, but um, below six percent, it's crazy. So out of one hundred people, only what is it? Five people leave. They don't even get mostly fired. It's people leaving themselves because they want to go somewhere else. It's crazy. And then um, I started working again and working in big deals at DXC uh, Technology, which is my famous IT outsourcing uh, uh, industry. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, the, if you read on the internet, it's not the, 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 the greatest and shiniest company out there. But I think that's a misperception uh, currently on the, on the internet, uh, being honest there. Okay, you cannot... You cannot you cannot verify it with a Salesforce. Yeah? Or it's a completely different uh, company. Um, but the people itself, the, the the things you get in return, the appreciation at DXC, uh, it's good. Uh, it's even above market standards. I I have to admit. Uh, but the problem in, problem is, and that's also in sales or in generally in business, perception is reality. Yeah. And if the perception yeah. on the internet is uh, it's shit, uh, most likely you believe it's shit. Through, uh, that, that, yeah, is, that comes straight from this book. Oh, is it? Perception <laughs> is reality. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. You would love this. <clears throat> perception is reality. Yeah, it is. If people have a... You could be, uh, you could be the best deal maker or the best CEO in the world, but if nobody knows you or nobody has a perception you are, nobody cares who are you they don't mind no. they don't care exactly yeah yeah so um <clears throat> now it's, i'm doing a uh, big deals again that's where that's where I, uh, oh, a lot of fun it's uh it's a niche within sales as i said before you cannot learn it but uh, once you're in it either you love it or you hate it and there's nothing in between well actually tim uh i i you have heard the podcast, so usually I have questions, but I don't have to ask you anything. You actually just give me the full-blown story. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was waiting for them. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you had the status quo. You had what inspires you. You had it. Uh, 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 who helped you at your failures? You had your biggest failure, which I yes. heard. Uh, what I didn't hear here is uh, what are you curious about right now? Ah, that's a very interesting point. What am I curious on right now? Um, if the myth behind digital transformations is a big buzzword currently, 
or is it really going to change everything in the upcoming 10 years? And let me bring some content here because a lot of people you talk to uh, regarding digital transformation, they think, ah, it's uh, we put some we put some application in the cloud and we call this digital transformation, or we uh, we 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 have now a help desk which you can use uh, through the internet browser instead of uh, you need to call someone. That's not digital transformation. That's complete. That's digitizing a specific service. This has nothing to do with digital transformation. It's, it's not changing the process. Correct. Totally, is just taking the old process and putting it in a yes. digital matter. Yes. So that's and, uh, not transforming. That's copy pasting. Yes. Just yes. And uh, my the diff- my definition like- uh, of digital transformation is that it is an organizational change uh, that either uh, dramatically change or uh, implement new business models uh, f- leveraging digital uh, tools. So you're thinking from a business perspective yeah, and a business flow perspective. And that's the first mind. So, you, for example, you, you think of an, an end-user perspective. How is he going to buy your service? You do this through the entire chain of what you believe it should be. And in the end, you look on, at, at, uh, on it from a technical perspective or a technology point perspective. Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I'm, uh, we're totally aligned on this. It's uh, Actually, when you look at it, uh, you have to be where the customer can find you. That's yes. one. Today's yes. customer, the screenagers, and all these people that are actually only con- constantly online. Um, but actually, it's about uh, 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 culture. Yes. The main thing and digital strategy. So, yes. Okay. And, and then facing the brutal facts. I mean, like your coach said to you, well, that's also looking at your organization and realizing it's shit and saying, <laughs> yes. I'm going to change this because in a few years I'll be out of business. Yes, uh, it's about process innovation, not uh, 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 not refining the process with digital tools, but actually yes. cutting the process from ten steps to one because it's possible. Um, and then, of course, the communication towards your customer and the staff, and involving the whole organization. And yeah. the analytics and uh, uh, technology is only enabling; they're not doing anything else. I'm so I'm so with you. I, I, I use always the metaphor uh, with technology. Uh, if you think that it's, uh, uh, well, we call it the Harlem or oil uh, in uh, in the Netherlands, you know, that cures everything. It's, uh, it's the same as driving a Bugatti Viron to a elementary <laughs> school yeah, and throwing the, throwing the keys on a table and all the kids will love it. You know, they'll hug it, yeah. honk, uh, they will kiss it, they will be amazed, but nobody knows how to fucking drive yeah. it. And, uh, and, uh, and and the cultural thing, I'm I'm absolutely with you. Because the, it, the first thing you come to the office in the morning and you used to work, for example, on emails, and somebody thought about a new tool and you don't use emails, something else, regardless what it is, the first thing which is in your mind is, I don't want to do this. No, why why do I need to do this? Yeah, because first nobody time. asks you. Nobody asks you how can I make your job yes. easier. Yes. What would and you like? The cultural aspect and the organizational aspect of digital transformation is very, it's the most critical element. Of course, you need to have a business case why you would do it, and you always need a business case, so to speak. But um, people tend to forget about it. They they will implement something, and they believe people will follow. No, this is not how it works. 
Unfortunately, only in the in the, I think oh, in the Roman times when yeah. General uh, <laughs> said we're going yeah. to that uh, you go that you country, go you go you go yeah. you don't question anything because your yeah. head was on the line. But uh, yes. nowadays, uh, well, I'll sit it out. I, yeah. I'm I'm 59. I only have six years to pension. I will sit it out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is the this is and then you get an organization full of people that are actually you know not able to use anything on yeah. the digital side and then you start lagging and before you know it um, you're hitting the wall yes so um well that's a, that's a nice curiosity i think we can debate on that one a lot and um if i would give you the possibility to dine with three people alive or dead who would those people be Whew. Um, in what context? Just uh, people Whatever I'm interested in. Oh, okay, of course, yeah. one would be uh, 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 my future daughter who isn't born yet. So my wife is uh, pregnant. We are waiting for. Congratulations! Uh, <laughs> thank you. So I'm really curious to see how uh, my little princess uh, will uh, be uh, uh, in the end. So that would be number one, which is currently on my mind. Number two. Uh, um, uh, who is alive? Uh, Mike Tyson would be one of the guys I really would like to uh, talk to. Uh, I read his book. I have seen all his fights. Uh, I, I'm to some extent a fan of him. Uh, how he, where he came from, where he is, uh, how successful he was, how how life impacted him, and how he transformed to where he is now. And the third one, um, I think I would uh, still go for uh, a dinner with my grandfather who died too young. Uh, I still remember him, but uh, he died too young in my opinion, and he was a good man. And uh, unfortunately, he couldn't. Um, yeah, I was. I think he died when I was twelve or so, eleven or twelve. So I, I knew the guy. I knew the guy, and I was. Uh, he was in, in that time in my life uh, also an inspiration because he was quite big and he was always nice, very lovely, and but we never had a normal conversation like we are having now. So that that is a missed opportunity. Which I, if I could recall him, uh, someone, I would think I would try to uh, to get a, at least have a dinner or so with him and see what he's up to, so to speak, because I never had that conversation. Well, those are I, I think a beautiful list uh, for now. Thank you. And uh, hey, and, and we're we're coming out to the end of the podcast, and of course, I'm quite curious your key takeaway for the audience. So, what what is your key takeaway when you when we put your adventurous life in 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 business and career and moving around through the world? What what is your key takeaway for our audience? Um, <clears throat> I think number one, combined with number two, uh, explore while you can. Meaning don't get yourself absorbed by a school system which will try to tell you what you should do uh, the rest of your life. Try something out if you have the possibility. Uh, even if you in the end made a mistake, it's not a mistake, it's a learning point. And I, I know this sounds perhaps crazy, but if I didn't do it, I would still be a truck mechanic. And there's absolutely nothing wrong being a truck mechanic, don't get me wrong. But I wouldn't be happy where uh, as i am now because that was not in the end what i wanted it to be follow your internal guts and if it's uh, if it tells you step out of this or do, don't do it don't do it yeah? 
but it also comes with age. And if you then look into uh, stepping into a career, get a coach. Yeah. Get a good mentor or a coach that drives you to that uh, specific specific uh, subset of skills that you need to take to uh, to conquer the, the organization, so to speak, or to conquer the job. And uh, I know this sounds odd, and I think a lot of people say it, but that would be my last uh, last thing to mention it. Never stop, never stop learning, and never stop making, uh, never uh, block people because you think you have heard it all. Because once you're aging, and uh, I'm now 36 years old, it, it also starts uh, at myself that you tend to know it, and you cannot hear any other opinion anymore because you have done it quite often, and you don't want to hear about a different solution anymore. And then, then. You know, you get like this and like, hey, fuck me, I'm getting old because now I'm telling people I've done this many times. There is no other way to do it. And in my early days, I was one of the rebels telling them, well, perhaps we could potentially do it this way. And then it went better. So always keep the balance between asking for feedback and uh, have a view on your, have a different view on your view. Outside view. Yeah. Well, I think that's an admirable uh, takeaway for our audience. Tim, I would really like to thank you for your time. It was awesome talking to you. You're welcome. It was awesome having you and listening to your journey. It's quite amazing from my perspective. Thank you. Um, And uh, I wish you healthy and uh, stay keeping in your, uh, of uh, uh, staying at home while this uh, (laughs) Corona stuff is uh, going on. But I'll think uh, that will blow out. Yeah, hopefully. I think in uh, one or two weeks. Again, thanks for having me. And I'd uh, love to hear uh, another episode on your on your podcast as well. I think they are great. And um, Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. For, yeah, thank you. Cheers. You're welcome. Cheers. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. This was Tim Herglotz, the dealmaker at DXC Technologies. Join me next week for the interview with the CEO and founder of Masterwerk. His name is Mohamed Babaic, and here is a short recap of our interview. But I, I, I believe that even um, just learning is not enough. I, I, I believe that you have to, to, to act. You fail and stand up and, 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 and make it to your habit to, to stand up. And um, any kind of learning and growing is is uh, uh, success. So so especially when you learn to use what you what you learned and and and, and um, uh, the success. Are you curious about the rest of the success story from Mohamed? Join me next week and hear what he has to say about failure, success, and happiness in life. This was Challenging the Status Quo podcast with your host, Amir Sabirovic. Stay safe and healthy, and until next week, ciao!